Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter, and you are the listeners. Yes. Uh, Do you think anyone starts listening to this podcast and they're like, who am I? I don't even know who I am. And then we tell them they're the listeners and that helps them. Yeah. Everyone starts off listening to Funk Radio, not having, uh, what's the word? Sentience. And then we imbue, <laughs> imbue them with sentience through our voices. They become uh, creatures with souls. I like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, it's been a little bit, but we're back. Happy post-Thanksgiving, if you're listening to this God knows when. Um, I mean, technically, any time you listen to this is after a Thanksgiving. Touche. Um... <laughs> it could be it could be nine months after Thanksgiving, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, but Thanksgiving was nice. So yeah, uh, speaking of uh, nothing to do with that, um, <laughs> for this uh, for this episode this week, uh, I, this is a topic I've been wanting to do for a while, and I finally got around to it. Um, is episode talking about Japanese city pop? Uh, now, Peter, if you remember. We did an episode a couple of years ago um, on like vaporwave music, uh, and I think we touched on it, like yeah. vaporwave and future funk, and um, we kind of touched on city pop in that because it's often sampled a lot in those new sort of electronic genres. But I always thought it would be fun yeah, to kind of talk. I kind about of forgot that. that's where this came from. Yeah. Um, but I always thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about the origin of a lot of this stuff and like how it became popular, why it's popular again. So uh, we're going to get into that and it should be fun, uh, especially for listeners that yeah. you know don't know a lot about music genres from other parts of the world. Um, like me. Yeah. So I guess the first question is, what is city pop? Um, I'm going to... I obviously can't read Japanese, even though I wrote down the actual Japanese kanji for this, but it, it roughly translates to, in Japanese, to shitty papu, um, <laughs> which is kind of a phonetic, uh, phonetic sounding out of the word city pop in English. Um, and this genre... Shitty pop. <laughs> oh god, I can't say that without laughing. Um... And this genre is loosely defined as Japanese pop music that emerged in the late 1970s and peaked in the 1980s. So, even though it's a fairly loose sort of definition, it's, it's more of like a time frame of like popular music from the late 70s through the 80s in Japan. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and it, so it's not exact, It's not technically like a genre in itself. Not really. It's not a genre any more than we call pop music a genre here in the U.S. Right. Okay. Um, okay. And it was originally termed as an offshoot for Japan's Western-influenced, quote, new music. Um, but it actually came in a wide range of styles, including soft rock, R&B, funk, and boogie music. It kind of infused a lot of those different elements into their version of popular music. Uh, the way I, the way I best understand it is because there was a huge push of American culture influence in Japan in the seventies and eighties during Japan's like economic boom back then. Is it mm-hmm. kind of 
it's almost like they got disco like a decade after we did and kind of infused disco with the softer sort of 80s pop sound that we had. So it's almost like they oh. took the 70s and 80s of the U.S. and just smushed it together. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, as I said, the country of Japan was going through a massive economic boom in the 80s. Um, it caused uh, an explosion in their middle class. People had a lot more spending income. So popular music exploded because people, you know, could spend money on vinyl and eight tracks or whatever. Um, and it also coincided with the explosion of new music technology, which I know we also talked about, uh, such as the Sony Walkman, cars with built-in cassette players and radios, and very various mm-hmm. different new electronic musical instruments, like uh, synthesizers, keyboards, and stuff like that. Um, the good days. Yeah. So, although there's no really unified consensus among music scholars regarding what the definition of city pop is, uh, like I said, it, it, it's music that kind of has more of an urban feel in Japan, um, and its target demographic were new urbanites. Basically, because of the economic explosion of Japan, cities like Tokyo and Kyoto just exploded in size. A lot of Japanese moved from the countryside into the cities and adopted this new sort of high-spending sort of urbanite um, style. And along with that came, you know, new music, um, music that kind of talked about, you know, love and leisure and all that stuff. So Spending money. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so that's essentially the definition of city pop. Like I said, it's, it doesn't have a strong, hard definition. Um, it's infused with yeah. so many different genres, from funk to jazz fusion, Latin, Latin and Caribbean music. Um, and one of the biggest um, city pop artists at the time, I'm going to butcher all these names, by the way, uh, the singer-songwriter Tatsuro Yamashita, was actually among the genre's pioneers and one of their most successful artists, sometimes being called the king of city pop. Um, Hmm. So, yeah, I have a clip here of... The shitty king. The shitty king. I have a clip here of, like, one of his most famous singles called Magic Ways. Uh, This is a song... A lot of the songs that I've picked are, but this is a song that's heavily sampled in a lot of uh, future funk um, songs Hmm. nowadays. But let's uh, let's play a little clip of Tatsuro Yamashita's Magic Ways. Uh, that was really nice. Gosh, that gosh, that sounds a lot like like an Al Jarreau song or something from that same era. Yeah, I was going to mention, especially with Tatsuro Yamashita, but a, another big influence uh, for, weirdly enough, for a lot of Japanese city pop is U.S. sort of uh, California surf culture. Hmm. No idea. Um, I think a lot of that came from probably came from Hawaii though too, because Hawaii had a big influence, especially in southern Japan on their culture 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like surf culture is a big thing. Surfing, surfboards. Uh, just yeah, it's it's a weird fusion of like of a whole bunch of different American cultures stuff just mixed together in a big pot. Uh-huh. But yeah, that was uh, that was Magic Ways. Uh, probably one of the most famous uh, city pop songs I could think of. So, um, so we talked about what city pop is, and I guess the next question is like, why the hell is it popular? Why was it so popular in Japan? Um, and I kind of touched on this a little bit, but it uh, the genre became closely tied to the tech boom in Japan in the seventies and eighties, where um, emerging Japanese technologies from from makers like JVC. And Sony um, influenced city pop with their sort of new inventions like the Walkman, the um, home video recorder. Uh, cars in Japan were coming out, uh, both in Japan and being sold in the U.S., mm. that had built-in cassette decks, uh, built-in 8-track players, FM radios, and various new sort of electronic-based musical instruments like electronic keyboards like the Casio CZ1 and the Yamaha synthesizers uh, became more widely used both in American and Japanese music. So it kind of influenced the range, I guess, of um, American influence on Japanese music because it was basically Americans using Japanese technology in their music and then that and then the stuff Americans did with that coming back to Japan and then being influenced by it. Yeah. And it, like on on the note of things like the Walkman or cassette decks and uh, cars and all that, like it's just giving people more ways to listen to music. So anything that exactly. would have been popular so, anyway, suddenly people have more exactly. ways to listen to it. Exactly. So because, yeah, you're right, because so many people had new ways to listen to music, music as a form of culture became a much bigger deal in Japan and you almost had this birth of the idea of popular music because it's like now everyone has a way to listen to it rather than just, you know, oh, it's mm-hmm. played on the radio or whatever. So yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and uh, it says here, according to Vice, uh, I assume the, being Vice magazine, uh, the most popular figures of the genre were, were, quote, accomplished composers and producers in their own right, with artists like Tatsuro Yamashita and Toshiki Kadomatsu incorporating complex arrangements and songwriting techniques into their hits. The booming economy also made it easier for them to get label funding. That's a good point that I didn't really think about, is the explosion of, free, like, you know, explosion of money, essentially, in Japan, allowed for a lot better funding, a lot bigger record labels to fund these artists and make them popular. So I wouldn't mind um, experiencing an explosion of money. Peter, <laughs> I, know, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so, so yeah, this new, this new genre exploded into the scene in Japan during their economic boom of the 80s. And the question is, why wasn't it popular in the U.S. as well, if this was so popular in Japan at the time? Um, and there's there's some reasons for that uh, that kind of go back to the sort of... Uh, in, in the 70s, especially in the 80s, because Japan was ex- ha- having an economic explosion, 
America basically feared that Japan would surpass them economically, mm. not too not too dissimilar to kind of our fears with China right now. Um, and so um, a couple of excerpts I found that kind of explain this better. Uh, there was a 1995 book published called Spaces of Identity by the British academics David Morley and Kevin Robbins, where they coined the term, quote, techno-orientalism, which, again, this was a term coined in 1995. It sounds a little dated by modern terms. Um, and it was used to depict how Japan had become, quote, synonymous with the technologies of the future, with screens, networks, cybernetics, robotics, artificial intelligence simulation. During the 70s and 80s, Japan's economic ascendancy uh, disrupted the idea of the West as the engine of progress. And this, this dystopian image of uh, Japan, as well as other East Asian countries, surfaced in American popular culture where it was seen as like this very cold techno-futurist empire uh which that that was you know run by large corporations and this uh this sort of idea of like oh japan's going to take over the world because it's you know this cold technological empire was um also seen in a lot of the cyberpunk fiction at the time in the 70s and 80s such as uh the book the Neuromancer and Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. I was actually just uh, thinking about Blade Runner. I was like, oh, I wonder if that was like related to influence of that. It yeah, like a lot of a lot of sci-fi futurists at the time were seeing all the explosion of this Japanese technology, and were taking it to this logical conclusion of, oh, in the future, Japan's gonna ha have control of all the technology, and you know, it's gonna have such an influence on our culture that it's gonna be like Japan America. Hmm. Um, which little did they know that it was, I was just saying, little did they know it wasn't the technology that took over, it was the anime. <laughs> it's yeah. like, they didn't need technology, they just needed Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon! It's Pokemon! Uh, every time I say Pokemon, I think of that old Bill Cosby skit for, clip from The Simpsons. It's <laughs> terrible. Um... So, so yeah, they kind of explained it a little bit better, but essentially, like, even Japan's economic uh, ascendancy scared America in the 80s to where we saw them as a economic competitor, and therefore, unfortunately, in, in some parts of America, there was an animosity towards the Japanese, not unlike, you know, some of the animosity we see towards uh, Chinese Americans here. Um... I, I'm going to totally butcher this, and feel free to fact-check me, but if I remember that, like, the the animosity, I guess, uh, towards Japan also arose from the explosion of Japanese import cars that were basically taking over mm. uh, from the large American manufacturers. A lot of this had to do with things like the oil embargo in the 70s and Japanese cars being more fuel-efficient mm. and cheaper. Uh, inflation, you know, causing us to seek out cheaper uh, alternatives to expensive American products. And anyways... Something um, I've been thinking too um, is that it's interesting how quickly that whole attitude shifted because I know that uh, oh, yeah. like before, I don't know if it was before the war or even after that there was the whole 
thing of like, oh, you know, Japanese manufacturing is garbage or whatever. Um, but it, uh, that that was yeah, that was like forties through the seventies. Yeah, so it's it's interesting it kind of how Japan quickly it like suddenly the, shifted, the and now they're like, like on top. That came from there were seen as cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is fairly interesting. I think part of it is is because of Japan's technological boom, where they were starting to make you know uh, computer chips and technologies basically better than America was at the time. They were, uh, and so it, it went from like, oh, you know, furniture from Japan is cheap because it's all made, you know, traditionally, to, oh, look at this new, you know, yeah, home video recorder that I can use and yeah, I don't know, stuff like that. Um, well, you know, one thing that you yeah, did was what? freedom. <laughs> Touche. Um, but it is interesting, kind of going off what you said, how quickly it flipped from in the 80s, we were scared of Japan, to it, by the 90s, we had already kind of just accepted it. Uh, and things like, you know, Nintendo and Pokemon and anime and all that stuff started flooding into the U.S. in the 90s. And like a whole new generation, our generation of uh, children kind of just lapped all of that up and no one really thought much of it. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, I think, if I remember correctly, the economic boom of the 80s led to a extreme economic crash and downturn in the 90s mm. because it kind of was, it, it was kind of overinflated, kind of almost like, you know, the dot-com boom was for the U.S. It was like they had that, but in the 80s. Oh, I see. So in um, Japan, that was earlier. Yeah. Okay. Oh, because um, they were like so they had a, a lot more advanced or whatever. So they were like in yeah, the future. So they <laughs> they had a big crash in the late eighties and nineties that kind of economically harmed them. So I think by the nineties we didn't see them as much as, as, as much of an economic threat because a lot of that stuff was uh, hmm. becoming ubiquitous and at the same time like we were producing our own versions of those things. But um where was I going with this? I don't know. Um, but yeah, essentially, long story short, City Pop wasn't popular in the U.S. because during the 80s, we kind of saw Japan as an as economic adversary. So a lot of the stuff from their culture wasn't widely accepted here yet. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I know we talked about um, the artist Tatsuro Yamashita. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple other sort of big artists in the genres that I wanted to feature. Um, another artist that I know we talked about previously, I don't remember if it was in the Future Funk episode or if we did like a separate thing on her, but the artist Maria Takuchi, uh, I th- we talked about that single of hers, Plastic Love. Yeah, I know we talked about her in the wa- the Vaporwave one. I'm trying to remember if she came up again. I don't remember. Maybe not. Oh. Uh, Maybe not. I, I, do, I do remember talking about, like, you know, oh, her song was kind of popular in the 80s, but then I had a resurgence again recently, and she kind of got newfound fame from it. Yeah. So we don't have to we don't have to play uh, Plastic Love again or anything, because I know we talked about that in a previous episode, but I just wanted to highlight her, because yeah. that song, um, essentially, was probably one of the biggest sort of resurgence of city pop hits.
Um, and if you listeners want to know when we talked about Vaporwave and Maria Takuchi, I'm going to go to getyourfunk.com listeners and in the search bar, I'm going to type in, uh, I guess, Vaporwave probably. Yeah, probably. Um, so that was in the summer of 2020. That was episode 282. So it was actually only about a year and a half ago, which is... Yeah, I, didn't think it, I, I know we did it sometime. I know we did it sometime post COVID because I, I started getting into that genre mm. during COVID, and I was stuck, you know, listening to music while I was working from home. Yeah. Um, Dreaming that you were instead yeah. frolicking with Japanese women <laughs> at home. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, we talked about Maria Takuchi. Uh, another artist I wanted to highlight is uh, she's she's like the Japanese Madonna. She's just Henri, mm. the last name. Okay. Uh, and her real name, she doesn't have a real name, is like Ieko Kawashima, but she goes by Henri. So mm. um, a big song of hers was the single Remember Summer Days off of her 1983 album Timely. Um, fun fact. She also sang the closing theme song for the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan. That's who that sang that song. song. I listen to it every day. <laughs> Terrible. But uh, yeah, let's play a little clip of Remember Summer Days and hope the link works. This is delightful. This reminds me of the Maria Takushi stuff as well. Yeah, sounds pretty similar. A little bit, a little bit. But yeah, a lot. A lot of city pop music is like that. It's 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 really funky bass lines mixed with like really light sort of guitar and piano. Mm-hmm. It's 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 almost like like funk meets yacht rock. If that makes any sense. <laughs> I can dig it. Um, can you dig it? So yeah, that was uh, Remember Summer Days by Henri. Um, another one I wanted to feature is another artist. Um, I'm going to butcher this too. Uh, Kayaru Kayaru Akimoto. Um, and her song Dress Down off her 1986 album Cologne. Let's take so a listen to fun too i actually have a question for you now that we've listened to yeah a few would you say that a lot of the city pop artists were women or do you feel like it was a pretty even mix um no most were women there was like there was a handful of guys like tetsuru yamashita yeah uh one other that i can't remember his name right now so yeah there was a there was a couple guys but a lot large uh majority of the ones that i, I I assume were popular back then were women singers. Mm. Um, 
I don't know if it's just because, you know, female singers were more popular in Japan because of the whole sex appeal. But... They do have uh, that. Yeah, I've, I've noticed... <laughs> I've, I've noticed uh, when I was researching this, there was a lot more female artists, so it's probably partially why. Uh, but yeah, no, I like I like to highlight this song because even even though it was only three years after, uh, so remember summer days, you can see a lot more sort of what's the term like electronic influence in like synthesizers and stuff yeah, in, yeah. in the music. Yeah. So so yeah, they were doing a lot of experimenting, but it, it, it's interesting how the genre kind of melded and evolved from like disco into like the '80s sort of synthwave sound. So yeah, uh, those were some yeah. handful of big artists. There's plenty of others. If you just Google like popular city pop artists, you'll get a bunch. Um, or I'm sure there's probably city pop like playlists on Spotify or whatnot um, that highlight some of the best singles. If you're interested in that, so so yeah, we talked about that. Uh, obviously, why city pop was popular at the time. So I guess the question is like, why is city pop popular now in the U.S. when it wasn't? back in the 80s right um, yeah and i know we kind of talked about this a little bit when we talked about vaporwave but apparently a lot of this started with youtube and for whatever reason youtube recommendations in like the late 2010s like 2017 18 19 started heavily pushing um songs like plastic love mm. which allowed it to reach a wider worldwide audience um as opposed to just being kind of siloed inside Japan. And so a lot of, that's how a lot of people kind of fell into this was, for whatever reason, YouTube was heavily recommending Plastic Loaf to people randomly. They listened to it and said, hey, this is good. And it kind of got them exposed to that style of music. People started looking up other artists. And then that genre randomly became popular because of the internet. Um, well, and it makes me kind of weird. wonder too, like, I don't know if we could necessarily make a whole discussion on this in itself, but I find it interesting. The idea of the YouTube algorithm, uh, potentially having influence over what music becomes popular or what people get exposed to. I mean, you know, to a certain extent, that's just true for anyone who uses the platform, but like on a broader sense, can it create? It's just like that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it does in general. It's just weird, and I never, I never got like a good hard answer as to why. It's just weird how it like latched onto this particular video upload yeah. and started pushing it out to people. Like, I know, I know it has a bit of a snowball effect with the algorithm, where algorithm, whereas more people engage with it, it's it's almost like a tag thing where it's like, oh, you listen to this, we're going to recommend this to your friend because you listen to it. And it, it creates a snowball effect that way, but it's just weird how it just exploded under the they scene, kind of re- seemingly out of nowhere. Lit the fire of the whole genre coming back. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, basically, uh, uh, Bob exploded because of YouTube. Uh, a, a quote I found from the music site Pitchfork kind of explains it well. They said, quote, Essentially, City Pop is Western music that's been adapted by the Japanese, now coming back to us as a retrospective source of fascination. The head of the internet music label Business Casual 
once said that listening to City Pop was like seeing old commercials from another world, <laughs> selling the same brands and consumer products, but in a different way than I remember. So, hmm. because it's like the Japanese interpretation of like the 70s and 80s, us experiencing it now, it, it's like seeing like the 80s of like an alternate universe, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, they, he says, or they say in Pitchfork, quote, it has familiar enough, to, it's familiar enough to be comforting, but implicitly exists at a slight remove. The Japanese lyrics preserve an aura of exoticism, uh, giving Western listeners room to freely project their desires. So, in, in non-journalistic terms, we like it because we don't understand the words. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah no, i thought that was interesting that like it's it's almost like city pop is like regurgitated american culture passed through like a japanese filter that we're re-experiencing now yeah 40 years later and so it gives us a sense of nostalgia but it's different enough that it's not like just listening to madonna and cindy lauper or anything yeah, yeah, that's really interesting, and I, I, I would agree that that must be like the big pull of the whole thing. That's cool. So, so yeah, that's essentially, uh, you know, how how uh, City Pop became popular in Japan, why it's popular in the U.S. now. We covered some artists. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about that is kind of a side note as that explains why it got popular in the U.S. now is an interesting phenomenon happened during the early, like the, the I guess, end of 2020, uh, during the first, you know, first big COVID wave, everyone was stuck inside. Uh, TikTok had exploded onto the scene as a form of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in the, in the late weeks of 2020, this one Japanese city pop song from 1979 went to number one on Spotify's, quote, viral charts, hmm. which I guess is a way that Spotify uses to kind of tabulate, you know, songs that a lot of people are listening to that aren't necessarily, you know, pop songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the song was called uh, Stay With Me, or, or in Japanese, Mayonaga No Door. Um, and the song is performed by uh, 19-year-old Miki Matsubura, uh, for whatever reason, the song exploded in the U.S. lexicon late 2020. Um, and the reason it did is because, I guess, with the explosion of TikTok, there was like a sub... I mean, obviously, everyone, you know, when TikTok exploded, everyone in the world was using TikTok, not just, you know, Americans. But I guess there was a trend on TikTok where Japanese-American kids were playing this song for their Japanese immigrant parents and seeing their reactions. And because I guess the song was like crazy popular in Japan in the eighties, like all of their parents like instantly knew the song. So it was mm-hmm. kind of cute seeing these, you know, American born Japanese kids sort of bring their parents back, you know, a taste of, you know, life in Japan in the eighties for them, I guess. Um, so yeah, a bunch of these kids were like, rant like surprise playing the song for the parents and in almost every video on tiktok the parents were like instantly singing along to it it's really cute 
Well, it's funny uh, because in a way, city pop is not only nostalgic for people who never heard of it, but even those who did. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It's like nostalgic in two different ways. Like it's nostalgic for Americans because of the general feel of '80s music, and it's nostalgic for Japanese because it highlights a time of great prosperity, you know, in Japan yeah. in the eighties. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I guess there was this big trend in like, you know, around December of 2020 of kids doing this. And obviously, you know, this, this got virally shared on TikTok and it blew the song up. So people were listening to it on Spotify, thus shooting it up the listening charts, mm. which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so I guess with that, let's play a little clip of the song Stay With Me by Miki Matsubura. sad fact with that um the artist Miki Matsubara actually died in 2004 at the age of 44 from cervical cancer so that's a little sad well yeah and then she didn't get to see the kind of resurgence of her song yeah yeah I was thinking about that like artist uh like um the one we just talked about who I lost it Maria Taguchi got to kind of experience some of that sort of re uh repopularization of her music Mm -hmm. Because obviously she's still around, whereas uh, Miki Matsubura unfortunately didn't because she passed away before the, the resurgence of city pop in the U.S. That's a little sad. But yeah, no, I thought that that weird TikTok trend was kind of interesting in that, you know, it's not just YouTube that kind of pushed the popularity of this genre. It's other places like TikTok and stuff, too. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, um... That's about all I got on City Pop. I don't know if you had any other questions, Peter. Um, I don't think so. I, From what I've heard, mostly just from what you've exposed me to, um, not only in this episode, but outside of it as well. Um, yeah, it's quite a nice genre and one that's kind of delightful to listen to, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I it's, it's perfect like background music for me because you don't understand the words, so you're not having to focus too much on it. It's more of a vibe, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I got super into the genre in probably around the same time, actually, probably late 2020, so I must have succumbed to that, <laughs> all that stuff. Well, you were um, on twi- t- TikTok twerking. That's hard to say. Um, and so... It, get back to twerk. It was inevitable that you would come across it, I guess. That's true. It's true. Uh, TikTok knows what I like more but before I do. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I tried TikTok for a little bit, and I'm just like, maybe it's the old man in me, but I'm just like, I don't get it. <laughs> so I, like, deleted it. Um, but I'm an old man who likes longer-form co- content. I don't like super short videos. Which is why we do 40-minute uh, thumbnail <laughs> episodes. Um so I guess yeah, uh, listeners, if you are into city pop or know of any city pop artists that we should check out that we didn't mention in this episode, you can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com/getyourfunk for the five people that still use Facebook. Um, 
We're also, as Peter mentioned, on GetYourFunk.com. You can look up all of our previous episodes on there, and you can listen to us wherever you're listening to us now. Yay. Yay. So this has been your Japanese-adjacent host, Kyle. And this has been your uh, techno-oriental host, Peter. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Japanese explosion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can be whatever you want me to be, listeners. So, yeah. Bye. We love you. Bye.